the improvement happened over last four or five or six years in autonomy is just mind-blowing. But as an insider of the industry, I have seen the improvement. It is absolutely mind-blowing. The improvement happened in a technology, whether it is hardware, like a sensor, compute platform, algorithm itself. They just state change. It is not even what, what it was before. I think that's what I've seen. Right? When I worked on it almost 10, 15 years ago, it was very different autonomy. Everything, we call it a 1.0, just because you know, you know, it went into production. What is happening in the passenger side today, we call it a 2.0. Everything about autonomy changed. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Autonicast. Um, my name is Kirsten Korosek, and I'm transportation editor over at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. Um, and uh, increasingly, like I feel like the Autonicast is kind of my main thing. Um, I am also the the former uh, communications director at, at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education, which is where I kind of got to know um, our guest today uh, a little bit. Um, but I'm really excited to have him here and to kind of dig into um, his his journey through the uh, driving automation technology space and and his current company. Um, and and so we have here today with us uh, for the first time on the Autonicast, uh, Bibrajit Halder. He's the uh, founder and CEO of Safe AI. Bibrajit, welcome. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for uh, having me today and invitation. And I know all of you guys very well. Really excited to talk to you. You guys are super, super, you know, person in the autonomy <laughs> space. Excited to talk to you, all of you. It's, we're all we're all obviously so anxious to talk to you that we're talking over each other in the very first <laughs> I'm the question. most excited. I am absolutely <laughs> most excited. Who would like to start? Because I'm ready to roll. Go, go. All right, Alex, you, you say you're the Jump most in. excited. So to me, I, I that am. tells me. I am. Then fire away with the questions. All right. If one goes back in time to Bieber's OG career path, he was at Caterpillar. And now safe AI retrofitting autonomy to construction of mining vehicles. I just came back from Legoland. And when I was there, I was in the gift shop and all I wanted to buy was every single Lego Technic vehicle that was a digger, an excavator, like a fork, whatever it was. And I stood there and I'm like, why, what have I done with my life? We need to focus technology that actually builds things and makes the world a better place. Bibrajit, can you tell us what toys you played with as a child and what was your favorite related to what you do today? Yeah, so and I think I totally, totally, you know, see your vibe. I know I, when I was a kid, I was like, I had this, like a small, this red car with a big, like a bus kind of thing. That was one of my favorite toy. So I used to play with that. And even today, like I remember just to kind of give you, when I graduated, I joined Caterpillar. Within a month, they put me in a truck called 793F. And that's like a 220 ton truck in a month. Literally, I could not forget that experience. Like I was going there, the tire is, you know, double the size of me. So yeah, I mean, it was a, I, mean, I totally see your vibe and I'm excited every time I see this machine. Super excited about that. Now, before so we get what? into the, the, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kirsten. I have to, I have another question. It's really important. Okay. Okay. Rajit, have you ever in, in, in real life ever been in the presence of the Bagger 288 excavation vehicle? Do you know what that is? The Bagger 288? I don't know the bagger to 
dagger to one but i been i i have been seen the one of the largest excavator in a mining industry right like a massive one but i don't know that specific one that you are mentioning all right we'll come back to this later kirsten please take control well i i wanted to ask about you know, what is it, uh, not that you're in tune to what makes Alex tick, but you certainly know what makes yourself tick. And what is it about the, even at the earliest ages, but particularly once you worked at Caterpillar that captured your imagination and wanted, you know, it clearly has continued on in your career where is it just, just the size and scale of some of this machinery or there, is there something else that is just so interesting to you to kind of dedicate your career to working in and around these vehicles. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and I'm just to kind of maybe give you a little bit of background, right? Even before Caterpillar, and I was doing my work on the autonomy in the grad school. So actually my PhD was on autonomy, you know, how like one pieces of the puzzle on the autonomy, that was my PhD work. So I was always excited about this, you know, making vehicle and equipment autonomous, if you will. And if you specifically talk about, you know, heavy industry, I think that really caught my attention and I really got into it is that the benefit and the effect it can have. I don't know if you walked into any construction site or mining site, any of the site, when you see this machine working 24-7, really doing the repetitive boarding job continuously year over year, very unsafe world, you see human exposed to that, it's like almost no-brainer. You're like, why is human is there? This is a very unsafe area. You want to take them out of it. And I think, you know, you, you, you know, if you are in Tucson, I will take you to one of the mine. There's a multiple, you know, you know, proving ground in Tucson. I've been there a lot of time. The moment you walk in there, spend half a day, it'll be immediate. Okay, yes, we need to make it much safer, make it autonomous. So really, that's what got me into it. And I, I spent about, what, seven years at Caterpillar, you know, deploying this thing into multiple mine. Uh, that just cement my understanding the safety, the productivity, and the improvement it can have to the society it just immense. So, so okay, yeah, go, one go more ahead. question. Why not just stay at Caterpillar then? I mean, clearly it's one of the big companies. You could continue to do the work and Caterpillar has been involved and interested in autonomous um, vehicles for many, many years, as you know. So what prompted you to kind of then leave the company and, and start your own and, and instead just, you know, maybe stick with Caterpillar big player like that. Absolutely. And what you said is correct. Caterpillar has been a amazing, amazing, you know, player on the autonomy. They actually started back in 1995. I know a lot of people don't believe they actually had an autonomous vehicle in their backyard back in 95. Obviously, they were a little bit ahead of their time. 95 was a little too attacked too early for autonomy, but they had it. I mean, they have been and they have been a champion on autonomy for a long, long time. I think by about 2014, you know, I've been working there for seven years. We started off from zero. By 2014, there was about 30 to 35 truck was already in production, was running around, right? I learned a ton. Right around that time, obviously, you guys know more than I do, is that, you know, passenger vehicles start about to pick up, right? The self-driving just about to pick up. And Ford was opening the office in Silicon Valley. And I knew the person in Ford who was in charge of opening the office. He was like, do you want to come in? And this is really when the, you know, Early deployment happened, it rolled into production, and that you know, my thing was that, okay, we can kind of take it to the next stage, you know, come to the passenger side. That's really got me out of the, out of Caterpillar, then that's why I joined Ford, and I kind of stayed in the passenger side for some time, I was at Ford, at Apple, and some other company, 
really then I realized that there's an amazing amount of improvement happening in autonomy. The autonomy that we know 10 years ago literally changed, you know, with the DNA and with the new, you know, you know it all, right? All the new technology, the sensor, the compute platform, everything just make autonomy different. That autonomy, we call it a 2.0 for our vertical, has not gone into the, you know, heavy industry where I come from. So that's really the reason. It's not really I need to start a company. It's really can I take the great technology that is happening in the passenger side, bringing back to that heavy industry, but they're already using it for almost seven, eight years. Um, I, I, I want to keep going into the into your current work, right, uh, in just a moment. But I want to go back a little bit further first because, you know, I think a lot of life is is kind of just being in the in the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, you look at at where you were. Uh, you know, you're at Vanderbilt from uh, 2003 to 2006, prior to to, to getting into um, you know Caterpillar and 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 the other things you you just mentioned. Um, I just I just have to know what what was it like, you know, to to be going into you know uh, you know a university like Vanderbilt 2003 was the year before uh, the first Starper Grand Challenge. I'm pretty sure, right? The first one was 2004. I mean, did you know that the the DARPA challenges were happening? Was that already on your radar? Were you pursuing that specifically? Was it something that kind of came along? Talk about that that experience of being at Vanderbilt and and sort of having this opportunity sort of be right there. Yeah. So just to straight answer, and I didn't know about DARPA Grand Challenge when I entered Vanderbilt. Right. I was in the robotics area, but you can imagine the moment you're in the robotics, and I was doing autonomous robotics in Vanderbilt. I just got sucked into the you know DARPA Grand Challenge. It was not that I was, I knew it before joining. And you are right, this is really a good luck in a sense of I was right time in the right place and just got, and you couldn't be any more happier or, you know, doing a grad school, being able to expose to that kind of a project. It just happened in the right time. And so, yeah, that's how I got into this grand challenge through the you know collaboration with Vanderbilt and other university together. So that was amazing experience for me. I learned a ton from, through that experience. And so, so when you'd gone into school, just to, to be clear, you were, you were thinking of robotics in sort of the more traditional sense of, of smaller things, Roombas, sort of the, the main, you know, I think consumer product in, in robotics, not a lot of, of other ones really at this point. Um, was that sort of what you had in mind? And, and, and so all of a sudden it was like, whoa, we can be taking this technology to a, to a whole different scale. What, what were some of the things that were, were changing at that time that, that kind of opened that possibility? Yeah, actually, the, the idea was not the Roomba. Our idea was much bigger in the grad school. We were doing the, the, the robot that runs on the moons and Mars. So basically, if you are sending a robot to the moon, you have to make it autonomous, right? And one of the, I don't know if you know that, one of the basic things happened, one of the robot in moon is that if they fail, they have to repair itself on, on its own. Now, that's the whole idea. There is no human. There is no, you know, so that was literally my thesis was how do you figure out something happened wrong in the autonomous vehicle? And if it does happen, how do you fix it? So that was literally my thesis, right? And I was able to take the thesis. That was my first patent in Caterpillar as well. But so no, I was working on a autonomous robot for Moon. And this is not my PhD thesis, but one of the, you know, like a, you know, proposal I worked on, this is crazy, like, we put together a proposal where we send a small pieces of puzzles, like think about like a Lego, as you mentioned, send them all to the moon and they can actually have a population of robot, kind of have a robot building robot that those pieces can build a robot themselves. 
they can build a more robot and that was one of the idea we put together not my phd but that was one of the idea so now we are thinking big obviously grad school you have the advantage to go beyond your you know practical limit if you will that that's really fascinating and um something i've been learning about lately is um nasa's entire definition of of autonomy and what that means is is so different than ours right here on earth we have all kinds of you know remote ways that we can you know even take you know, remote guidance or remote control or things like that. And, um, and when you're talking about something that might be completely out of communication, obviously the level of, of automation has to be so, um, you know, so hard. So, so specifically on, as you got into the, the DARPA challenge, what, what piece of the autonomous driving stack, just to give people some, some, you know, context on, on your specific background, because there's so many technologies, right. That go, that go into the stack. What, what piece were you most focused on um, at that point? And, and has that changed sort of as you've moved through your career? So my, my focus on the PhD was what I meant, what we call it a health monitoring system. So if you think about very simple way, when an autonomous vehicle is running, you monitor almost anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 different failure modes of that vehicle, and you have to kind of detect if something goes wrong. You know, every time something goes wrong, it's not like you have to stop or something. You need to have a inherent logic to say, okay, if something is wrong, what can I still continue to do autonomously that the machine or robot is still safe and driving safely? So that was the key focus of my work, how to make the vehicle what we used to call it a health monitoring system. So that's what I focus on if you think about the stack in the grad school. Okay, so so more system level than sort of specifically on one kind of sensor or, or one kind of machine learning, for example. That's right. That's right. Okay, that that's really interesting. Sorry, Kirsten, Alex, I don't wanna I don't wanna dominate here. Jump in. Sorry, so uh, in an environment in a where an, an excavator or a mining vehicle is operating. Clearly, there are fewer actors in general, and the actors are all, I imagine, compliant because no one is marching around in front of the vehicle. But how different or, and or difficult is it for the same set of sensors to accurately detect the proper path in, a, in an environment filled with rocks or inconsistent lighting and a lack of signage or even a road? Yeah, and Alex, I know you are super, super technical. So what you say, the way you put it together, exactly right. There is a less number of actors into our world, into this kind of constrained world. Also, those actors are what you call well-behaved, right? You can kind of characterize them much and they will behave most of the time as you expected just because the way the environment is. So maybe maybe before answering your question directly, I'll give you some statistics, right? With Caterpillar and Komatsu together, there is about 1,000 vehicles has been running fully autonomously last seven to eight years. And they have moved about 4 billion tons of material without a single fatal accident. What does that mean is that because of the constrained nature of the environment, you can actually run this thing safely in production. Obviously, you have help from the environment, right? Uh, to answer your question directly, yes, these sensors are good enough to for this constrained environment, but they can they solve all the problem, like all the thing, like can they really understand the you know the how the road profile look like? Can they understand all the objects around it? The answer is no. At least back in the days, we didn't have our sensor stack sophisticated enough to detect everything, classify everything, but it was good enough for us to run around and be autonomous fully without having any, you know, without being any unsafe environment, if you will. So is it necessary, uh, so you, if it, there's a work site, 
you have a client with one of your, a vehicle deployed with your technology on it, do you um, HD map the site and then help create a workflow for repetitive tasks? And to what extent does the client who possesses one of your vehicles or a vehicle with your technology on it, to what extent can they then go out and move the vehicle to a new work site and develop their own workflows and map themselves? Yeah, you're asking very, very good and detailed questions. So answer is that, yes, we do go out, do the HD map of the site. We do work with our client to kind of work with their workflow. But then we also train our client because you know very well if you can do as much map you can want, but it will change, right? Map doesn't stay stay static, right? We actually have a detailed training program with our client where we tell them, okay, this is how we do our map, but this is how we can keep it updated. This is how we can collect data. So, and then also how do you, first workflow, we work with them, but then we train their operator, train their site manager, how to actually use this thing going forward. So answer to your question, yes, they can use it in the next site and they can update the workflow as the profile of the work changes. And, and just to kind of give you a simple thing, right? Whether you're doing a mining and construction, over the years, even over the days and months, the profile of work changes. So you have to kind of empower the site operator so that they can use your tool for their, they cannot rely on us every day for map, map or actually workflow integration. I can go all day with more questions, my friends. Who else, Anyone else want to keep going or shall I? Well, I mean, I, I didn't want to keep talking over you either. So I, I guess what I'm interested in is because you have this like very long history and you did talk a little bit about like sort of some of the technological advances, but maybe you could provide a broader kind of pullback about where we are today in terms of like the state of the industry not just Caterpillar, but the state of the industry in terms of capability, but also interest in applying autonomous vehicle technology specifically to construction and mining. Um, I know logistics is also another area that it's getting a lot of attention and activity, but let's narrow it a little bit um, because you've seen the growth and kind of the um, demand for this and interest really um explode in the past few years. So maybe you can just give us a level set and then identify like when you really saw it change. Like when did you start seeing more interest in this area? That's right. And 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 Kristen, you have done a great job. I have seen all your article, right? So you know the history. But really maybe just to kind of first statement is that the improvement happened over the last four or five or six years in autonomy is just mind blowing. I know there is a lot of, you know, people are excited, then people came down, there's all that going on. But as a insider of the industry, I have seen the improvement. It is absolutely mind-blowing. The improvement happened in technology, whether it is hardware, like a sensor, compute platform, algorithm itself, they just state change. It is not even what, what it was before. I think that's what I've seen. Right? When I worked on it almost 10, 15 years ago, it was very different autonomy. Everything, we call it a 1.0, just because, you know, you know, it went into production. What is happening in the passenger side today, we call it a 2.0. Everything about autonomy changed. Uh, and I, if I kind of pick on a couple of things, the sensor quality, it just improved dramatically, whether it is LiDAR, radar, camera, whatnot, just significantly improved. Like what we could have think about doing, yes, you know, before, today, these are reality. Second thing is the algorithm. The algorithm quality just improved. Uh, you know, some of the problem, I'll give you one simple example. 
uh, just to kind of give you a from the bottom up you know we were planning to solve a problem how to solve the intersection problem for autonomy and the way we solve it back in 10 years ago is like okay if it is intersection autonomy as a way to in a right of the way we don't have compute enough compute power on the on board to decide how to de- you know how to decide this you know on the signal we just solve the problem by saying no no if it is autonomy nobody get it right right of the way today obviously we'll solve that problem on board so that is both the improvement on the algorithm also the improvement on the actual compute platform another thing that is happen on the overall ecosystem in a sense of understanding of this system right is autonomy is not just a running the vehicle autonomously but also integrating with overall workflow integration i think there also a lot of improvement happen network is one thing happen cloud part of it improved significantly so all that came together if you will so yeah i'm i'm super super excited about it and i think for specifically for heavy industry one of the benefit that is happening is that you know heavy industry could have never invested the kind of money self driving is investing you know i i kind of use this example there's 80 plus billion dollar got invested in the autonomy ecosystem heavy industry could have never done that you know their budget may be at most billion or 2 billion that means what is that mean they could have never afford this technological advancement that is happening in autonomy but now that that happened we could and that's really what safeair is kind of one of the bridge right we are taking that advancement that's happening in the self driving ecosystem passenger side of it bring that back to the heavy industry and because of that what happening that maturity of the technology grown up so a lot more people can use it and also the cost has gone down so that means the use case that previously they could not have think about using today they are using it does that i know it's a long winded answer but you know that's kind of paint the picture where where we are and how actually self driving immensely helping the that's you know the heavy industry side of it that's interesting because you know i imagine that what drove a lot of the improvements in sensors that have also now reduced in um cost improvements in algorithms and improvements in compute um these are all things we've heard before as drivers uh to on from my view where i said it seems like what really drove that is extreme interest that um kind of percolated or was started out of darpa but then really um took a new kind of a momentum a few years later down the line and as a result a ton of startups a lot of investment and interest a lot of hype around it but that encouraged investors to back these companies and so you got to this point where you had all these breakthroughs and now what you're seeing is this sort of consolidation happening at least on the certainly on the passenger side so i'm wondering from where you sit when you see like the level of consolidation that's happening do you think that that's going to slow down the pace of some of the innovation and breakthroughs that you experienced a few years ago or will it actually you know encourage more breakthroughs because just a fewer very powerful companies are able to fund these types of things yeah so i i would go with the second one i think this consolidation is happening very organically and for the right reason so right now we have fewer extremely extremely knowledgeable smart talented group of kind of ecosystem in that right and you have to almost bring that synergy right yes there is a individual you know innovation happen but you want to kind of want to bring all that together so i think it's a, it's for the good for the industry that it's kind of you know consolidated happening 
and they're kind of taking all into together and bundling all that kind of innovation together because that also reduce the cost and improve the overall system at the end of the day right you kind of want to understand end-to-end system to improve that so i think yes i think the consolidation happening for good reason and alex you know here at argo right these are they are moving the right players are moving at a, even at a faster pace now because they kind of putting it all together and 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 have the right talent to know what what direction to go so I, I just want to dig a little bit more into to sort of something that you referenced here, and then Alex, I promise I'll let you go. But um, you know, specifically, you sort of mentioned that the passenger side sort of really drove the investment, and and I think you know, especially for people outside of the space, you know, I think for them, this technology exists largely in kind of a lot of the hype and media coverage that's mostly been focused on that that passenger side. And yet, and and as so you were there, you as you mentioned, you were at Ford and, and at Apple, sort of working on that passenger side, where where that investment was taking place, where you were making these innovations and driving down these costs. But then you've moved to this, you know, heavy industry sort of side of it. Is there? I mean, you know, if you take a step back and look at this, it, it looks like malinvestment in some sense, right? That the companies, and and maybe I'm reading too much into this, and I'd like to get your perspective on sort of why you a little bit more about why you've moved sort of from that passenger side into the heavy industry side, because it seems like, you know, the investment is going into the opportunities that may be a little bit farther off. As you say, it's it's driving the progress, but it's still, I think, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it seems farther off to a lot of, of people, at least to be economically viable than some of the, the heavy industry stuff. It, you know, and I understand that, that, you know, you all benefit the the heavy industry side benefits from that investment in the passenger side vehicle. But but like, do investors need to kind of wise up to this? Like, couldn't that that investment be happening on the heavy industry side? And if those opportunities are are sort of more, you know, within reach uh, on that side, sh- should that be where more of the investment and and sort of hype and excitement be going, or does it really matter since everyone kind of benefits regardless of where that investment and, and that innovation is? is taking place. Um, love your perspective on that. Yeah, I will definitely not characterize as a mal investment. I think this is a this is a great thing for the overall autonomy ecosystem because you could not have attracted this kind of investment any other vertical, right? And as much as we like the diggers and the you know all the heavy industry, you and me don't drive that every day, right? As a as a common people, we we understand the benefit and the impact the passenger vehicle will have when they're autonomous, right? And I think this is, it is a extremely boon for the whole ecosystem that it happened. And also I will layer on that, and yes, I was at Apple, I was at other, and you know, Ford, and I've seen it. I am actually extremely bullish about that. I mean, very, very, you know, I know passenger vehicle will happen. It's just a harder problem, and there are right people, very talented people are working very hard on it. You know, I know the ecosystem on the passenger side very well. So I am very, very positive about it. I think this is great that the investment happened. So the overall technology improvement was enabled that, right? Because you could not have put that kind of money anything other than passenger vehicle because passenger vehicle impact is so big. Everybody understand. You may understand what it means to be driven by a car and you can watch a movie or whatever you like to do. You know, as much as we say, you and me don't understand what it means to make a mine autonomous, right? So we cannot make the broader ecosystem excited about it. But yes, and also the thing is, you say, right, this this will propagate to every other vertical. You know, Christian, you talked about logistic. Same for the logistic. 
you know, they could not have attracted 80 to 100 billion dollar investment. It's not big enough. It's not exciting enough to investor, common investor. I'm not saying people who are, let's say the guys who put in the mining, they get it. But they don't have 100 billion dollar to invest. No, I think so. I would not characterize it as a mal at all. Also, I'm going to say it's very, very, um, and I know the overall progress that is happening into this few clusters of right ecosystem in the passenger side. And it's just blown away. I think they are making amazing progress. And once they will come out, I think the whole humanity will be benefited from that. It's a harder problem. So I think we just have to be a little bit of patient about the as the right people are working on it. Go ahead, Alex. I saw you anxious to step in. I'm very anxious to step in. All right. Two questions. The first one is, how does insurance work on a work site with a vehicle enabled by your uh, autonomy? And I'll let you answer that one first, then I'll move on. Yeah, Alex, I, I know, I, I think you and me can talk about a couple of hours just like that. You know so much. You are hitting the right point. So, yes, I think insurance is one of the, you know, extremely, I would say, critical and hard problem to solve. I will tell you how it works in our world. You know, obviously, our world is constrained. So that gives a, you know, some of the benefits, right, because of the constrained nature of it. So the way currently working, as I mentioned, 1000 truck has already been running in production for last eight years. So they have solved the insurance problem. So usually there is a layer in a super high level, right, layer up way. The mining company itself, you know, insured the whole mine under their name. So for example, think about BHP is running a mine for 15 years and they're going to spend anywhere from one to five billion dollars to you know, mine that mine over 10 to 15 years of time frame, right? Sometimes it can go all the way up to 20 years, depending on their you know mining process. So they will insure the whole mine on their dime. There is an insurance company will do that. Then think about Caterpillar is coming in, putting their autonomy truck. They will insure their truck. And that they will also insure the overall. It's autonomy insurance almost come down to who pay for the premium. It could be a division between who is providing autonomy, who is using autonomy. They might decide it, okay, how much premium am I going to pay? How much premium you are going to pay? But at the end of the day, there are set insurance company will insure the whole mine, then started insuring smaller pieces of the puzzle. So in the, in the constraint environment, like mining and construction, this problem is solved. I'm not saying it's solved to the point this, it can be expanded to the every other use case, but at least that constraint use case has been solved. It's, there are insurance company who can go ahead and insure that. It's a question of where that where the premium is coming from. Who is paying for that? So, uh, <laughs> I love this one. Okay, so um, a vehicle encounters a situation that it cannot resolve for whatever reason. Um, what form of remote guidance, control, or teleoperation do you offer? And uh, how does that work? Yeah. Again, you're going to go back to that. It is a constrained environment. So we always have an option to stop. That's that. And I was like, we always have this. We always, you. So in our world, as I mentioned, that this, this triggers. So there is nothing called I cannot resolve because my last resort is to, I do not know what to do. Something happened bad or something wrong. I can always just stop in the middle of the road. It's going to cost my client a lot of money because now I'm stopping the whole operation. Everybody's behind me. It's a mess. You know, the CEO of Caterpillar probably will get a call for that thing. But on a technology, if you purely think about from the technology point of view, I can always stop. And I was kind of going back and, you know, Alex, just for you, you're very technical. Like I mentioned that one of my main work was to 
if something goes wrong, what do you do about it? So let's say I'm, I'm monitoring about seven to 10,000 failure mode at the same time. And there's something happen, I need, but I can always stop the truck and just be safe. If that, that makes sense. But is there a, a, a method or facility for an operator um, on, at the site, um, but at a different location to complete a task rather than wait for one or more people to go out to the vehicle? Currently, the answer is no, because we don't let anybody monitor. So we say that if I stop for something that I do not, I mean, in a sense, the autonomous vehicle cannot resolve, it will stop. That means it is safe. At least we take care of the safety. But then you need to send somebody. So somebody, because there is some always going to be somebody managing the overall site. But it takes them about anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes to drive to that particular location, right? Depending on the, how big the mine is. But no, it is not a remote operation currently. It's like if I stop for something and I can't resolve what to do, you have to send somebody uh, to the truck and figure it out what's going on. Kirsten? Uh, one of the things that I've seen that's been interesting in the warehouse logistics sort of automation world, so robotics and logistics combine, is this shift not away from hardware, because obviously hardware is necessary, but a shift more towards a priority level on and focus and investment on software development and also change in business model where it's more of a software um, like subscription, you know, service with these warehouse providers or warehouse owners. It's the same thing happening in your industry where um, the business model is changing, where you, when you're working with like, let's say a mining company or construction company that it's on a subscription basis, or is that really just kind of limited to what's happening in like warehouse logistics? It, it is subscription based and Christian, what you said, I think you'll see the same business model in every vertical as well. So our business model, when I say our safe AI and also broadly in this vertical in general, it is subscription model. Because think about what it is that you, you know, this company, the mining company and construction company spending money to drive this vehicle. Now we are saying that software is going to drive this vehicle for you safely and more productively. So you, so the model is that every year per vehicle per year they pay a software licensing fee, and that is very you know proportionate to what they would have paid if they would have run it with a you know with a human, if you will. So it's a very they have an operating cost to run this vehicle on a yearly basis. So it's a yearly software licensing fee. But there are two portion to that, right? If you think about from their angle, why do they spend the money? They spend the money driving the vehicle, driving the, you know, dozer, loader, whatnot, also managing the overall site, orchestrating it, right? There is a two level level of thing, like what do I do today with my asset? Second thing is that now the asset actually actually go do that. Asset means the autonomous vehicle. Now, we also have a software that let them do the orchestrating and managing the overall site, which is also very important. So both of them are software, you know, recurring licensing fee, because both of them, they are, they are operating cost currently. Interesting. And just to maybe, you know, you will see the same business model everywhere else. This is a very typical playbook. You will see everywhere, whatever it is, logistic is going to be that every other vertical where autonomy is going to happen, you will see the very similar business model because it has a very, it is directly proportional to what they spend today. Uh, you know, passenger, you understand, we, we pay money when we, go from point A to point B. Yeah, so so this is 
fascinating because it just it's it's so obvious the way you talk about this, um, how much further along in in a lot of the the actual business development aspect, or at least how much more you're willing to talk about with us uh, uh, than than you know I think others who are maybe not in in the specific sort of area that that you're in, and so I'd love to to kind of yeah dig into that a little bit more. You mentioned sort of it sounds like you're kind of past the point of like worrying about sort of big safety issues. Obviously, again, you're you're in a more restricted domain as 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 we've discussed. Um, but sort of the focus is now more. You you sort of reference that you know the issue where where the these failure modes that you do still experience um, are are not so much problematic because of safety concerns, more just because of sort of operational issues. Um, and that's a, and that's a big deal, right? Like like obviously safety is is in some ways the table stakes, um, and and sort of getting to this level of of operational uptime, right? So this technology is delivering on the unique advantages that it that it offers uh, over human drivers. What, how is that challenge different, right? How how is working on the safety piece different than now this step that you're in where where you really have to focus on you know operational uptime utilization rates really providing value how, how are those two development challenges different yeah and Ed, the way you put it put it very nicely so i probably will copy some of your statement the way you really said right that i think that is the perfect characterization so in our world yes Safety is a table stake, and I'm not saying it's easy, you know, and easy, it's just that we have a constrained environment, we can solve that problem. So where we are today is really what you just heard of the problem is that we we, we have a lot of issues still, right? But these are not safety issues, these are efficiency issues. And if you keep solving that problem, customer will get more and more happy, right? They're like, oh, it's like you you have your iPhone, the initial version versus today's version, right? A lot of new feature, not a lot of new improvement happen. And maybe go back to in the business model a little bit. Think about in a very simple, I'm going to, you know, round those numbers. Think about a construction company doing a construction project for $100 million. It is taking them five, five years to complete that project. Out of that $100 million, they spend about $70 million doing the construction, right? They spend about another 15 to $20 million planning for the overall, like the overhead of the construction project, right? Paying for their planner and everybody. And they make about 10 to 15% profit. And I'm saying 10 to 15% profit construction industry is actually pretty, pretty decent profit margin. So now in that $70 million, what do they do with that $70 million? They buy the equipment, they run the equipment, that's their main two cost, right? So running the equipment and buying the equipment is the two main cost. Now, if you, we cannot do anything with the buying the equipment. It is what it is. Now, if you go there and save them 20% of their running the equipment cost, that's what autonomy does. You realize there are two things, right? They are already spending, if you kind of do a simple math, let's say 50% equipment, 50% running the equipment is actually 60-40. Now, if you save their operating cost by 20%, also, you save them the timing, about 20% of their time. That means what would have taken them five years will take them four years. And you are taking their line item they need to spend anyway to run the vehicle. The business model becomes super obvious. So right now, if the autonomy is stopping, you know, let's say twice a day and keep making headache for the customer and tomorrow you improve, instead of stopping twice a day, you started stopping once a week you realize that you can directly draw a line to the profitability say that previously i didn't i give you 12% productivity because i was stopping two times a day 
now I stop you one once a week so I'm giving you 15% productivity they can see dollar value right there so business model become extremely and not extremely clear I mean people are already making money for last eight years with this business model so it's a very straightforward that's how we can talk about it yeah and and I just wanted to you know you mentioned earlier um, sort of all the the innovation that has been happening you know since you got into the space and which continues to happen are there areas um, you know where specific to your sort of day-to-day challenges right now where sort of new technology new innovation it could make a, a really meaningful difference whether that's on cost or uptime or whatever whatever aspect of it and if so what are those things or is the technology pretty much there and this is just sort of fine-tuning or, or just help us understand sort of where you're at in terms of the overall technology development piece yeah it's, it's a layered answer so the technology today is good enough and i would say more than good enough for lot of use cases in the heavy industry but we cannot still solve all the use cases and i'll give you example what i mean by that so a truck a big haul truck whether it is 200 ton truck running around autonomously interacting with a loader that part is good enough technology is good enough for that now think about excavator i think alex you talked about excavator excavator digging material you know making you know dumping into a truck you haven't seen that many excavator autonomous yet in the mining or construction industry one of the reason there are a lot of reason one of the reason is that technology is not quite there yet we would love to have perception solution improved even more to make benefit you know make use of autonomous you know excavator be fully autonomous and ramp it up in production so we are kind of waiting on a bit more perception improvement right because excavator need a lot more perception you know technology because it's actually interacting with the cloud the interacting with the ground because I'm digging the ground, right? I need to know what am I doing. Truck, on the other hand, doesn't interact with the ground. So truck is actually good. So you will see why we do the truck first. Right now we are doing dozer. Then we'll eventually do the excavator. The reason being, we know that technology is quite not ready for excavator, but whereas technology for the truck is very much ready. And and just really quickly, is, is that progress you, you're looking for on perception, um, is that on the hardware side? Is it more on the software side, sort of? Where, where are you looking for that progress to be made? I would say mostly on the software side. And, and we've been, we are, we are. I, I, I don't want to use a lazy word, but we are. when you say we are waiting, you could have asked that, why are we not doing it? When I say waiting, I'm really mean waiting. I'm waiting for the passenger vehicle guys to improve. Because they are going to improve for their use cases. They are not going to improve for digging earth. They are going to do for their use cases. But you want to capture that and bring it to our use cases. So I'm almost literally, when I say waiting, I'm waiting to see a little bit of improvement on the perception side. That's one of the area where then that can help the excavator application immensely. Again, I'm just literally picking one use cases so that it kind of bottom up, you know, add some color to that, right? Instead of talking in abstract. Yeah. So so we have limited time left. I want to let Alex and Kirsten get in here. Yeah, I just wanted, um, Alex, do you have any more questions? Boy, do I. Okay, why don't you ask your question? Then I have one question to, uh, unless we end up asking the same thing. Um, so I'll let you go first. Mine's really fun. Maybe it should be the final question. Okay, so I, I was just wondering if you could, um, you've talked a lot about like where things have moved to and some of the innovations and based on where you sit today, what is the next big change that you see kind of bubbling up to the surface now like that you expect will change and shape 
the autonomous vehicle industry is so much broader than what just what you're doing um, in the next like year or two. Yeah, maybe I'll kind of give you first answer what we see in our vertical. Obviously, that is much more closer. We have better understanding. So we have a, you know, we have an order from a one mining company for 100 plus truck to deploy over next two years. So that's kind of think about our laser focus is to go deploy that, iterate on that, get feedback from the customer and make it really better product. But that will have a extremely big effect on our industry because once we deploy even 50 or 20 or 30 truck in production running on a day-to-day, that will give a huge boost to the whole industry. They're like, okay, I see this working for well. Also, it will going to work my other 20,000 vehicle. So I think that's kind of our focus, but not just a mining, but also construction will see a huge boom, if you will. I think that's in our industry. So I'm very, very excited about our industry. Another thing happening in our industry, also there are two main vision, right? One is that no entry side, that means the autonomy, no human on the side. Another is a net zero vision. We recently announced that, you know, we can't do everything, right? We're a small company. So we partnered with Siemens. They will retrofit a vehicle to make it electrify. We will come on top to do autonomy. I think that's another big, big push in happening in our industry. Obviously, making vehicle auto- electrified is not the sol- you know, solve the whole net zero problem. They are looking at end to end, but that definitely contribute to that overall vision. So those are the two main pillars in our vertical, if you will. I think in the broader autonomy, I mean, I am extremely, you know, very, very positive about that. I think it's we are about there, whether it is logistic, whether it is self-driving, even at a self-driving, I think we are much closer than now people think. I don't want to put time, but and once it comes out, people test what it is. I think you will all you will see a change in shift in the mind again. So I'm a little, and I know, and Alex, you know very well. You are you are inside the kitchen, so I don't need to say more for you. But really, the progress these people are making, as I say, and I, without naming name, but you know who they are. I just I think I'm you know they're about there. It's a question of what is it, and these people are extremely extremely talented. They know what they're doing. They are taking a very methodical steps inside the kitchen. So, yes, I think I'm very excited about the passenger side. I don't want to give a date or time and Alex and you know better than that. But I think the progress has been amazing. Uh, if you if you can pick into their actual what's going on inside. Just really well, quick I'm, before before Alex oh. takes us home, just really, really, really quickly. I, I got to ask, Bibaji, I mean, a little bit like like who is doing the most impressive stuff? What are you most excited, whether it's the individuals, the companies, the specific problems they're working on? You've, you've referenced this a couple times now. I got to push you on it before we let Alex uh, uh, take you home here. I, I will just say that I, I I know them all very inside out, right? I know th- there are not a good autonomy company where I don't have friends there, right? So I think, and they are all doing amazing work. Like I cannot go detail, but as I say, Alex knows Alex is literally cooking in the kitchen, right? So he knows he knows more than I can. But I think you know who they are. Like if you just pick top five, six, you know, companies, you know who they are, and they are all all are doing great work. And I think if there are tech, certain pieces of technology innovation come from one, it will actually get propagated into the whole ecosystem. Because these are not a technology just for one one company. It will get propagated, which is going to benefit the ecosystem. So uh, without naming name, I think they all are doing doing great job. All right. The fun part. Have you been to the Dig This amusement park in Las Vegas? Which, which one you mentioned? Dig This. 
It's an amusement park where you can go and drive excavators, diggers, and you can just crush vehicles. Have you been there? I, I have been there. I know which one you're talking about. But Alex, I'll top you on that. We have a we have a dozer in, in Bay Area. We have a site in Bay Area if you want to do. And we have a 220-ton truck in Australia. We have a 25-ton truck running in Japan. You pick your place, Silicon Valley, Perth, or Tokyo. I'll, I'll take you there to a real real site, and you can drive a dozer, a truck, or a loader, whatever you wish. So you pick your you pick, you pick your location. We have, I would we have love to, to come to, to Northern California, and my request would be: Would if I come there, can I see the vehicle crush something autonomously? I cannot. I cannot promise crush. I can promise okay. pushing things something, right. but I can let you drive. Right. You pick right. your place. How about this? What is the minimum age for a passenger in the vehicle while it is in action? I so we don't let anybody for go in the passenger vehicle, but you, I will let you come into the inside the vehicle. Okay. All right. Thanks. I was really hoping I could bring my daughter. She's turning four, and she would just love it. She would. Thank you, Beaver Sheet. It was awesome. Absolutely. No, and really open invitation. You guys want to come anywhere, whether let's say California, Perth, or Tokyo, open invitation for all of you. We'd love to have you guys come and Thank you know, you. check this thing. Yeah, out. well, I think we should we should try and find a way to, to make that happen. Um, you know, I think, uh, as I said, at the at the start of this conversation, um, it's it's always so cool to, um, you know, we, we always at the Atonicast try and get past the hype and, and get into the real stuff. And I think um, when you get into, uh, you know, machines that actually work. Um, there's not a lot of room for hype. Um, things have to work. Otherwise who cares, right? Who's, who's going to put a penny into it. Um, if, if those, those machines aren't really getting it done. So, um, it, it's been really fascinating to, to get your perspective on, on all the different sides of, of this, this ecosystem, how it all fits together. And, um, and I think the next step probably is to go and, and see some of this stuff actually doing the work, you know, in person. So um, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, everything that you shared today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I think we'll, we'll definitely try and find a way to, to take advantage of that. And um, Kirsten, anything else before we, uh, before we wrap up here? Field trip. Field trip. Let's do it. All right. B. Brigitte Halder is the founder and CEO of Safe AI. Um, Bibuji, thank you so much for, for making the time to be here. I'm really glad after uh, a bit of time getting the, the scheduling worked out, we were finally able to make this happen. So, so thank you so much. And um, really looking forward to seeing uh, what you and Safe AI have uh, coming up. No, thank you. And thank you for uh, you know the time today. And really excited. I mean, I was very enjoy the discussion. And anytime Alex and Christian would love to continue our discussion. You guys are amazing. You know, I see, the, see you guys all the time in this ecosystem. So thank you for it all. Thank you. And of course, thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atomicast.